seated. Thanks for being here today. Welcome. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. We are grateful that you would join together to worship Jesus. If you're a visitor here, I just want to remind you if you've got a little welcome card, hopefully you can fill that out, take it back to that wall of books. We don't have a, a great name for that, so if you can come up with a great name, that's fine. We'll use that. But uh, the wall of books, the resource wall, whatever you want to call it, take it back there. We'd love to give you a free book and say thank you for joining with us just as a way to bless you. And whether or not you're coming back or not, we'd just love to bless you with uh, good teaching from God's Word. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. In case you have been coming regularly recently, you might have flipped over to 1 Corinthians. Don't do that. That'll come next week. But this morning, I want you to turn to Acts 11, verse 19. We'll be reading from verse 19 to 30. This is God's word for us this morning. And I'll explain why we're focusing on this. But now let's hear from his word for the church. Now those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit there'd be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is God's word. Let's pray. God I pray that you would make your word alive to each and every one of us God, your word is living and it's active. God, will we hear from you today? Would you open up our eyes, open up our ears and our hearts to you? Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every one of us? Would you, would you use this feeble means of preaching? Would you speak through me? Would you speak your words to your people? Would we hear from you today? We pray that you would anoint this time with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start off by asking a question. Uh, it's a simple question. It's not meant to isolate you if you're a guest, but if you're a guest, this applies primarily to people who, who come here regularly. So if, if you have been coming here regularly, I want you to show me your hands if you, if you can answer positively to this question and keep your hands up. How many of you have heard the gospel or heard about Jesus and you've grown and you've learned to obey Jesus through the church here? Anybody here? Keep your hands up if that's true for you. Kids, how many of you have learned about Jesus through your children's ministry? Everybody else, keep your hands up still. We're going to do this for a minute. I, you know, we're not going to get that tired. Um, kids, keep your hands up. If, if you have heard the gospel preached in your children's ministry classes, you can put your hands up. 
Now, how many might have had their life changed by the ministry of this local church? By God's grace, in some way, maybe you heard the gospel explained, you heard it applied, you were baptized, you can put your hands up. How many of you have been affected in some positive way by the church, maybe in your marriage or your parenting or the way you relate to other people or conflict, you can put your hands up. Now, I want you to look around. Just while you keep your hands up, look around. Now you can put your hands down. I don't do that to draw attention to this church or to, to praise what we're doing here. No, that, that's actually drawing attention to what God does in and through the church. You see, we can come every Sunday and think this is just ho-hum, and we're just going through the routine, we're going through the motions, we come to church each and every Sunday, and we can forget what really happens, what God gets done in and through his people gathered. Not just on Sunday morning, but you know what? Um, on Wednesdays when we gather in small groups or in, in individual conversations when somebody is speaking the word to someone else who have encouragement or correction. Don't underestimate what God gets done in and through the church, his gathered people. Don't become too familiar with it. And I say that this morning, and why we're reading this passage is because we are celebrating something today. We are drawing attention to something today on purpose, something called Church Planting Sunday. In case you're wondering, you have these little brochures on your chairs. Don't read through them now, please, okay? You, know, you don't need reading material. You can look at that later, take that home with you, stick it in your Bible if you brought a Bible, or sit on it for now if you want to. I don't care. What we're celebrating is the fact that we get to participate together in the work that God is doing. When you raised your hands and you looked around and saw how everyone else had been affected in some way by not only this church, but really by what God is doing in all over the world in his church. It's a remarkable thing and it's remarkable because God is using each and every one of you to bring about that transformation. Maybe that's a word of encouragement you've given to somebody or you shared a Bible verse with someone, or you in some way have helped train or disciple other people or see the truth of God's word or say, hey, when I heard that on Sunday, I was really struggling. I didn't, I didn't know how to apply that, and then somebody else helps you apply that. In some way, we all get to be a part of this great, grand work that God is doing to transform everyone. He, he's transforming lives. What, how does God primarily work? He doesn't do it through politics. Not primarily. Yes, God's always at work in every area. Yes, we know that. But he primarily works in and through his people gathered. And we get to join together today with about 750 some odd churches. We are part of a group of churches, a family of churches called Acts 29. And there's about 750 of them. And it's really cool. I was thinking about this morning, about 50 different nations are celebrating with us today the same thing, Church Planting Sunday. And it's a beautiful picture, really, of, of what will happen one day in Revelation when, when John tells us of this, this beautiful picture in Revelation 7. And he says, he looked and behold, and he says, and, and, and a great multitude that no one could number. And I don't know if we have this on overheads. I think we have it on the overheads, if, if you want to put it up there. From every number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Did you get that? What's God doing all over the earth? What's he, what's he going to accomplish? He's bringing a people to himself from every tribe and every nation, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, symbolizing the righteousness of Christ, with palm branches in their hands and, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And if you're here today, 
and you're a part of this church or you're regularly attending this church, you are a part of what God is doing to bring that about. And we can look forward to that one day that, that God's going to accomplish and bring about his purposes through these really ordinary means that we do every Sunday, every Wednesday when we gather in small groups, when you talk to somebody else who's hurting or you talk to someone who's discouraged or you bring a meal over to someone because they've been in the hospital or you care for somebody, you are a part of this grand work that God's doing to bring every nation and tongue and tribe to him. Listen, don't, ask, don't underestimate the church. It's not just a place you go. It, it's, you might be bored at times, but it's not boring. The church is God's primary means to carry out his purposes in the earth. And in Hebrews, it tells us that, that we, we shouldn't be forsaking that because that's where we are encouraged day by day to, to maintain, to keep in the faith as well. We need church to be encouraged in our faith, to hold fast to the confession, to stir each other up, to love and good works. So we want to look at what a phrase that began the passage that I read from Acts in Acts 11. In verse 19, it started off and he says, now those who were scattered. He says they were scattered. Those who were scattered, they were scattered all over the place. They were, they were scattered all over the world and you have to wonder why were they scattered? They were scattered because Luke is subtly drawing our attention to something he spoke about earlier in chapter 8. He, he's drawing our attention to the fact that this is a result. The church is, is scattered. The church spreads because of persecution. Now, that's not really a popular thing to say in today's culture when we're looking for being overcomers. We're looking for the victorious Christian life now. And yet, how does God work primarily? He works when the church is scattered at times and he works even through persecution. And Christ builds his church even through persecution. He's not daunted. He's not dissuaded. He builds his church even through persecution. Now these first eyewitnesses to the resurrection, they had, they had encountered Jesus. They'd been changed dramatically. They understood that Jesus had died on that cross, carried their sins. He'd been resurrected, proving that, that he bore the penalty, the punishment for all of their sins. They, their lives were changed as they saw him resurrected. The, the resurrection that we got to celebrate last week. In this early church, they had been transformed. Their lives were changed. They were affected in dramatic ways. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In Acts 2, it tells us, to the apostles' teaching, to breaking the bread. They were having all things in common. They, they, were, they were so affected that they, they stopped living selfish lives. They shared everything in common. They sold the possessions where they needed to to help other people who were in need. They distributed to people who didn't have they praised God. They had favor with all the people. God grew the church. The Lord says, added to the number day by day those who are being saved. This was a dramatic account. And yet, they didn't go and do what he had told them to do. In the Great Commission, he, he told them he was sending them to the nations. And they hadn't gone to the nations yet. They were comfortable. They were increasing by number. They were in a healthy church. By all accounts, they were very healthy. And then this guy named Stephen, he gets up and he preaches. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't even an elder, actually. He was just a member of the church. He gets up, and he's, the Holy Spirit empowers him, and he preaches this gospel message, and people are bothered. There's this guy named Saul. He's approving of them doing something bad to this man. They, they all pick up stones. They carry him outside of the city, and they throw stones at him until he dies. 
And then Luke records in Acts 8 that there was this great persecution that arose that day. A great persecution arose that day against the church in Jerusalem, it says, and they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. All the very places that he said to go to. God uses persecution to, to scatter his people. Saul, he, it tells us he was ravaging the church. He was going into, can you imagine this happening today? He was going into their houses, dragging out men and women and throwing them into prison. And you might think, oh no, maybe the work of the church is done. Maybe the gospel will stop being spread because people were getting killed for this and they're getting dragged out of their houses. Can you imagine the trauma? Somebody breaking into your house, dragging you out, throwing you into prison for being a Christian. And that was happening. So the church is scattered, it's understandable. They're not to be condemned for being scattered. It's not, it's not wrong to avoid persecution. Um, and it's actually the means that God used to help spread the gospel. And, and he builds his church, Christ builds his church, even through persecution. That's a hopeful word for us today because sometimes you might be fearful today thinking, oh no, I might lose my job if I speak up about Christ. That might be true. And you might spread the gospel when you do. You know, oh no, people might ridicule me in school or make fun of me because I'm a Christian or people might mock me because I take a stand for what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches in my workplace and so things might not go well. I better keep my head down. Maybe my neighbors won't like me when they find out what I really believe. They'll think I'm intolerant or a bigot. But God builds his church despite persecution, in the midst of persecution. And through their scattering, he puts them into unfamiliar, difficult circumstances around people they didn't know. You ever find yourself in a place like that? Difficult circumstances around people you don't know? Maybe you came here to this church. Maybe you've moved from somewhere else where things were a little more difficult for you to be a Christian. And you've been scattered. Maybe you're scattered here. Well, maybe you're scattered here because God wants to use you to continue to build a church, to share the gospel. All throughout history, if you look at it, the history of the church is one of persecution. It's one of people being scattered where they took the gospel to distant lands. And in fact, a lot of people who populated the nation early on here, they came because they were, they were being oppressed in their expression of religion. And so they came seeking freedom. I love the story that John Piper shared in his book, Suffering the Sovereignty of God. He, he shares a story from Herbert Schlossberg's book called The Suffer, Called the Triumph, and he wrote on January 9th, 1985, Pastor Hristo Kuluchev, a congregational pastor in Bulgaria, was arrested and put in prison. His crime was that he preached in his church even though the state had appointed another man who the pastor to pastor the congregation who the, who the congregation did not appoint. His trial was a mockery of justice. He was sentenced to eight months of hard imprisonment. And during that time in prison, though, he made Christ known every way he could. And when he got out, he wrote, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. And that, that, that's been the case countless times, countless stories, people imprisoned, sharing the gospel, where they would never have gone before 
Because of persecution, the gospel is scattered. And you know the predominant means by which it's scattered? It's not through impressive people. It's just by people going and speaking and telling of their faith. In society in general today, to be a Christian might, might mean to be increasingly marginalized. Maybe you're feeling marginalized now. It might mean some persecution in the future. You can be sure God is at work whenever persecution happens. God hasn't abandoned his people. God is, is with his people. I love looking down at verse 21. It says something really key, really important. Look at your Bibles in Acts eleven twenty one. It says something important about, yes, they were scattered because of persecution, but, but here is why they were effective. Here's why the church is built. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord is with them. I, I love that beautiful, vivid imagery. You, you, ever, you ever seen a parent with their child, and maybe they're walking up on a dog, and a dog barks, and the kid goes and grabs the father's hand or the, the mother's hand, and so you see the parent grabbing them, holding them, securing them, saying it's okay, comforting them. And, and that's kind of the imagery we see here. The hand of the Lord is with them. They, they, they'd been scattered, but God was with them. He was drawing them there by hand. He had not left them. He had not abandoned them. He was holding their hands. He was continually present with them. He was near as a father is near to a frightened child. He was with them. Just like it says in... I think it's Jeremiah, when, when in Jeremiah 31, and God is leading his people out. It says, he led them out by hand. And so you might be scattered, you might, in, you might be facing persecution or marginalization. Here, here's why you can have confidence. Because the Lord is at hand. He's holding your hand. The hand of the Lord is with you. It's just like Jesus said, he, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You can be confident, no matter what, the church is built. Jesus builds his church even through persecution. Even through persecution, the hand of the Lord was with him. It says, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. No matter what you encounter, no matter what you might face, the hand of the Lord is with you. Jesus is building his church, and he can turn people to the Lord through you. What a, what a great privilege we have. Knowing not only we're not alone, but he can turn people to him through our simple means of living out. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because, because he's given us his word. And he's given us his word, and his word is powerful. And that's how Christ builds his church. Christ, he not only builds his church even through persecution, he also builds his church through preaching the Lord Jesus. That's how he builds his church, through preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, now you might think, wait a minute, preaching the Lord Jesus, isn't that something you're supposed to do, Matt? Isn't that something you're supposed to do, Aaron? Well, no. Actually, these people are normal people. These are no pastors. There's no elders here. They've been scattered. The church is scattered all throughout, and they are just preaching the Lord Jesus. Or I like how it puts it earlier in the passage, in, in verse 19, now, there's if you leave off the to no one except Jews, the positive part is they were speaking the word, it says. If, you, if you're a Christian, if you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to speak this same word, and actually more, because they didn't even have the Bible written down yet. It says they were speaking the word. They were proclaiming the Lord Jesus. They, they didn't have a 10-step program. They hadn't memorized you know, four steps or four spiritual laws. They hadn't, they hadn't done all those things. They can be helpful tools, but, but it says here's what they were doing. They were, they were speaking the word. They were proclaiming the Lord Jesus. And that's how he builds his church. 
And that's how he calls each and every one of us here to build his church. He, he builds his church as we proclaim, as we preach, as we speak the word. That's how he builds his church. I, I love when, when Jesus was walking with the disciples in Caesarea Philippi. In Matthew 16, it tells us the story. And it says, Jesus, he's walking in Caesarea Philippi. And it's important to know that, that in Caesarea Philippi, it was a city that had been dedicated by Philip, Caesarea Philippi, to Caesar. But it had, in this city were all kinds of shrines and temples. They had, a, they had a temple to Zeus and Nemesis, which I didn't even know there was a temple to Nemesis. And there, there was this, a, a temple to Pan and a cave to Pan and, and all these false gods. And, and so Caesarea Philippi was a place where, where all of these idols were in the midst of Israel. These idols and temples, it had, had more temples to false gods than anywhere else in Israel. And Jesus is walking there and he's looking around. I can imagine he's looking around these temples. He sees the, the temple to Zeus and Pan and Nemesis and, and these false gods. And he's looking around. And so he turns to the disciples and he asks them, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? You know, not, not who all these people are, but who do people say the Son of Man is? And I love kind of their answer. They kind of give him the, the common survey. Well, some say it's this, some say it's that, some say something else. And he interrupts him. He doesn't let them get away with this halfway answer. He says, okay, fine. Who do you say that I am? Because he makes a claim. He makes a call in our lives. Just like he makes a claim and a call in your life. Who do you say that I am is what Jesus asked to each and every one of us. And then Simon Peter, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he replies and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus tells him he's, he's blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to him, but the Father who's in heaven revealed him. And then he says something to Peter in verse 18. He says something in verse 18. You can flip ahead to that slide. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, which means little, little rock, and, and, and by the way, it's never ever used again in the New Testament to speak of a rock. But he says, you are Peter, or Petros, and he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, early on in the history of the church, a lot of people got that wrong. And they thought, well, this is, this is built on Peter. The church is built on Peter. Well, no, he uses a different word, a different form of the word. He says, on this, on this rock, on this ledge, on this cliff, on this foundation. It's kind of like later when Jesus is talking about building your house on the rock. This is the rock that he's talking about. This is the rock he means. Peter says, you're Peter. You're a little rock, but on this rock, the rock of your confession, the rock of the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm gonna build my church on that. And that's how he builds his church today. He continues to build his church. This is what we see in Acts 11. They, they were just preaching the word. They were speaking the word, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. On that rock, Jesus builds his church. You don't have to go to a class to learn about evangelism. They're helpful. We're going to do that. We've done that before. We'll do it in the past. You don't have to pick up a book that I'll encourage you to pick up later. That's, that's called Tactics, Learning How to Talk to People Who Have Doubts About the Christian Faith. You don't have to do any of those things. Um, those are all meant to bolster your faith, your confidence in God. The reality is, all you have to do is speak the word. Because that's how Christ builds his church. And you don't have to do it. Here's the cool thing. He says, I will build my church. Not you, but Jesus. And he does it on that rock of the confession of who Jesus is. That Jesus is your Lord. That Jesus is your Christ. That he is the anointed one. He's the Savior. And that's how he builds his church. 
this rock that he builds his church on is this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that should encourage you. No matter where you find yourself, you can speak the word. You can tell where your confidence is. You can speak of the hope that you have. You can speak of the fact that, yeah, I'm a mess, but you know what? I have hope because, because of Jesus, because he died for me, because he, he made a way for me to come to God, so now I can come to God boldly because Jesus died for my sins, that he's taken all the wrath. Now I, I don't have to deal with the same guilt and shame that, that I, I've struggled with all my life. Now I can, I can give all my guilt and shame to him because he took all my guilt and shame, and, and so now I can actually be free to not worry about what people think about me because of Jesus. You can speak the word plainly. You can share about who Jesus is. You can trust that God will be with you as you do that. He's going to lead you. He'll take your hand. He is holding you by the hand. And he's going to do something dramatic through your ordinary means of just sharing how God's affected your life. He's going to build his church. And, and I love that, that the content of what they preached, it wasn't, it wasn't they told them that they had to convince people to believe, but they, they preached having the Lord Jesus. They preached Jesus as their Lord. Your job's not to convince people. Your job's not to make people believe. Your job is to proclaim, to speak the word, to preach the Lord Jesus. And, and it's really cool. This, these unnamed men, they go about this, this city they're, they're preaching the word, speaking the word, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. This, this city of Antioch that was full of idols and prostitution. And, and as they did, idols fell and people were convicted and they believed and they turned to Jesus. Maybe you look around you and you see that this world is a dark place, that things seem to be getting worse. Here's the great thing. The light is brightest when it's darkest. Don't think that somehow the gospel is hindered. He's given you this powerful word to speak, to proclaim that's life-changing, that's dramatic, that's transforming, that, that causes idols to fall, blind eyes to see, deaf ears to be opened. You don't have to be a brilliant theologian. You don't have to know a set of impressive theological proofs all those things can be good, but you do need to be as witnesses because that's how people are transformed, by being as witnesses. That's how he builds his church. It's the simple truth that my mom shared with me when I was a child. They both encountered the gospel when I was about four years old. They had, they had never heard the gospel in their lives before that. They were just rank pagans. My parents were both pagans. and My mom, she wasn't impressive in the world's eyes. She didn't accomplish great feats. She never received any worldly honors. She never got any awards. She didn't have any huge accomplishments. But you know she did? She did something powerful. She spoke God's word to me. She always was talking about the Lord Jesus. And somewhere along the way, my life was changed. Later, there'd be a man named Chris Ludic who would speak the word. I met with him at Denny's in Virginia every week. And he encouraged me and exhorted me and corrected me and reproved me. I have no idea what, what made him want to meet with an 18, 19-year-old kid and take him under his wing and, and just speak the word. 
But as he did, my, my eyes were open. I began to see things I hadn't seen before. I began to understand things. I began to grow. He spoke his word, proclaimed Jesus, challenged what I was living for, and then God used that to call me to pastoral ministry. It's God brings people to himself. He builds his church just through speaking the word, through proclaiming the Lord Jesus. Chris wasn't a dynamic teacher. His words weren't impressive. He was a bit of a goofball, still is. But that's how Jesus says he'll build his church. He doesn't build his church primarily through really impressive people. Actually, the norm is that he builds his church through ordinary people and ordinary means. That's how Christ builds his church. He builds his church through ordinary people, through ordinary means. Unnamed, daring pioneers who, who risk everything to follow Jesus, and yet they're significant to the work of the church. We don't know who the people in this passage were. It says they were just those who were scattered. <laughs> they don't even get named. They started the church that the famous apostle Paul was launched from. They are not named. Just those who were scattered. Just men of Cyprus and Cyrene. That wasn't men only. It was people from Cyprus and Cyrene. That's encouraging because, you know what, for most of us, we're not going to be written about in the annals of history. Most of us won't be named as important here on earth. In a hundred years, most people will forget your name and who you are. Maybe your relatives will look you up on whatever the modern version then will be of Ancestry.com. And they'll think, oh, that was cool. My great-great-grandfather was whatever. Or my great-great-grandmother did whatever. But besides that, you're not going to be named. Most likely. But here's the really cool thing. You're going to be named in eternity. Because your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you get to bring other people with you. Ordinary people. You know, you know the disciples, we, we think of the disciples as these really amazing people. And you know what? They were because of the Holy Spirit, because of what God did in them and through them. But they weren't to begin with really at all. None of them were impressive. None of them had uh, huge degrees. None of them were rabbis. None of them were statesmen. None of them were, you know, athletes in their day. Even if Peter might have wanted to think of himself that way. He picked fishermen, tradesmen, tax collectors, people whose society didn't like. He ate with prostitutes and sinners. He called it ordinary people, and he gave them an extraordinary message to speak in ordinary ways, to do the extraordinary in the world. That's what God does. He's always worked that way, hasn't he? Abraham and Sarah, think about it. There's just two dried-up old people, okay? <laughs> and Abraham had faith. Sarah had faith. They were a washed-up couple. God used to build a nation. Joseph, he was this entitled boy who probably mouthed off a little too much. And, and you know what? God used persecution and, and hardship to show him himself, and then he transformed him through his classroom of suffering and used him to save Egypt and Israel. And Moses, he was a stutterer who was afraid, who ran away, who was tending sheep. And God calls to be a spokesman, a leader who, by the way, at first Moses was like, I can't do that. And God got pretty angry with him about that because Moses didn't have faith to begin with. Gideon, this great hero of the faith who I named my, one of my sons after, he wasn't impressive to begin with. The only thing that made him impressive was that, that God made him impressive. He was hiding out, threshing grain, hiding from the enemies, and this angel of the Lord comes up and says, Hail, Gideon! 
you great man of faith. What? He's hiding. He's not in faith. And he actually doesn't respond in faith. He's really feeble. He even responds and puts some pleases out because he's not really sure if God's going to do what he said he was going to do. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah ran away from God. He didn't obey God to begin with. Esther was an adopted orphan. And she becomes queen to save Israel. The beginning of Acts, Andy Nacelli shared with us a few weeks ago about the beginning of Acts and how they all spoke in tongues. And, but there was, there was probably a couple hundred of them speaking in tongues. What affected people wasn't that Peter's message to begin with. It was that they heard all these people, unnamed people, ordinary people, that the Holy Spirit transformed and used to praise God in different languages. The ordinary means of speaking the word, proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. These people who are scattered, they just speaking the word, proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. Ordinary means, ordinary things. And Barnabas, he's just doing some ordinary stuff. He, he encourages them and they grew strong. You, you, can, do, you can do those things too. You can, you can, you can speak the word. You can speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can encourage people. Look at the other ordinary means in this passage, the ordinary means of teaching. And yet God does things to strengthen and to build his church. The ordinary means of giving. The church in Jerusalem, they weren't doing so well, and so they took up a, a, a tithe. They took up some offerings, and they, they gave to the church in Jerusalem so that the church was strengthened. There's where, where ordinary means carried out by ordinary people is how God builds his church where the hope of new life is proclaimed, where people are baptized and disciples are made. And Christ builds his church through followers who are building on the foundation of proclaiming the Lord Jesus. That's what we see. Him doing something miraculous. And that's what we're a part of. We're a part of something that God is doing to, to build his church through followers on the foundation of proclaiming the Lord Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating, we get to be a part of that. I want to show you a video for just a moment, and then I'm going to come back and I'll, I'll close with that. But I want to show you a video of, some, of what, what we're a part of and what you get to be a part of. So go ahead, and if you have that ready, and if you have it ready up there, I can't see. Just say yes or no up there. Can't hear you. Yell. Okay, excellent. We're getting there. Okay, thank you. All of us get to participate together. All of us get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And, and, and you being a part of this church means that you are actually linked with other churches. Whoops. <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead and start that over and we'll, 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 uh, we'll do it again.
Now you can take your little things out here if you want to, by the way. Um, this just tells you a little bit about the, the group, the family of churches that we are a part of. Because we, we are excited about this because we believe that God's primary way that he works in the world is, is through the local church. And, and you are participating. You get to participate. Whether you know that or not, you are participating in that work already. Um, I, I love that we have partnered in the past with Reconciled Community Church, a church just across town. And that now that church is healthy, we, we help support them and encourage them and, and help mentor and come alongside them and that church is now in a place where they're healthy and self-sustaining. In that church a few weeks ago, Will brought us, he was able to, to minister and lead a prayer meeting at the school for those who are affected by the shooting in the welcome neighborhoods. Last year began to help give towards City of Refuge Church, and we've committed giving towards helping them this year and establishing a church plant in the Eau Claire neighborhood of Columbia, an underserved community there. We're partnering with Jay Will, and you get to, you get to see him when he's coming to be here in July. And then uh, in, the next few, in the next few months, Aaron and I and a, a team of people from here are going from our church to help serve church plants in the Dominican Republic come alongside them as they reach Dominicans of the gospel. Our giving in this church, it goes towards Acts 29, to a, not only just a general fund of church planting, but it also goes towards an international mission and toward funding churches in hard places. And those hard places, by the way, aren't just inner city, they're including inner city, but they're also hard places like Newberry or places like that in South Carolina. People don't want to go that aren't, aren't impressive to anybody. How you are currently training your children in the way they should go. It's making a difference in this community and you're serving as a model. You're supporting and, and of Aaron and I and, and paying our salaries just to be really practical. Um, you are helping us care for and serve others in Acts 29 as well. And, and I get to be a part of serving nine other churches in South Carolina, helping care for them and, and helping support and strengthen those pastors. And next week, I'm actually going to go this coming Tuesday and Thursday to be with those men so we can help strengthen what God is doing in other church plants in our state. Church planting, it's more than starting a meeting. It's more than putting on an event. It is more than raising money or funding a building I love how Tony Marita puts it. He says, church planting involves taking part in what God has always been doing and getting a foretaste of where history is headed. That picture we see in Revelation, that's where history is headed and you get to be a part of that and, and church planting is a foretaste of what God is doing. He says, it's an enormous privilege. God is gathering a diverse global people to himself. Let's not lose the wonder of being participants in this grand drama of history. And church planning is just another way of saying we're, we're carrying out the Great Commission. All of us are called to, to carry out, to engage in this critical component of the Great Commission. And I love how Spurgeon said it. And he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not living on mission for the Lord. There's no such thing as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, who is not witnessing of Jesus. But somewhere along the way, we, get, we hear that we think the idea is that, that we need to be comfortable, that we can come to church and, and go, to, go to small group on Wednesday nights and think that's the sum total of what it means to be a Christian. And yet, what being a Christian means speaking the word. It means proclaiming the Lord Jesus, using ordinary means to accomplish extraordinary things. That's what God does. 
called to fulfill our mission. It's never a secondary component, but the church is a primary component. That's where we see people made disciples, people baptized, people grow in the faith and be sent out. Now, maybe here you're wondering, how do I participate? There's a few ways that I want you to write down that you can participate together here. You can serve in the local church. You can be an active part of this church where God transforms people by ordinary means. You can invest your life into the ministry of making disciples. Now it might be starting with your own family, making disciples of your own kids if you have children. If you don't have children, um, make disciples of other people or bring them along in the faith in areas where they are weak, encouraging one another. You're a part of that mission of making disciples even here. You don't have to go overseas to do that. The primary mission field for most people here is here. It's in your neighborhoods, it's in your communities, it's in your workplace. One of the first places we can make disciples is in our children's ministry. We, we love to grow our children's ministry, but we need people to help do that. We love to grow our children's ministry, not just to entertain kids, not so that kids aren't, aren't sitting here and you know, twiddling their thumbs. No, we want to we grow our children's ministry so they can be equipped while we are being equipped. They can be learning about Christ on their own and developing and growing. So that's one of the ways you can be a part is you can, hey, I, w- I want to be a part of that. You can demonstrate with your life what does it look like to obey all that Jesus commanded with joy. You can be actively involved in, in the ministries of the church. You can help teach other people to follow Jesus. You can, you can speak to your neighbors. One of the, one of the things we want to do this year is to, to, to at least once a quarter go on a prayer walk or a drive or go to a, a public area in your neighborhood and, and pray for the people in your neighborhood so that you might be able to, to proclaim the gospel, to speak the word, just engage them in conversation, get to know them. That's how you can participate in this gospel mission. You can, you can pray for the church. You can pray to the Lord of the harvest to, to bring laborers. You can pray that God would have you give. You can pray that God would have you move. There might be people here who God's put it on your heart to go and plant the church. We would love to help support you in that. We'd come to us. We'd love to come alongside you and say, how can we equip you so that you too can go and plant a church or be a part of a church plant? You can see your life as part of this, this glorious mission of church planting, just like the early Christians. They went to Antioch and all over the world with the gospel. Just, just like that picture, I love the, the, the imagery of Philip. He, he, he was called to, God calls him to go and to proclaim to this Ethiopian eunuch who's sitting in a chariot. And so Philip runs up, he tells his Ethiopian eunuch, and then something happens. That Ethiopian eunuch took the gospel back to Africa. We're not sure of other accounts of people going back to Africa, but he took the gospel to Africa. And you know what happened? God used that simple encounter, that just explaining what does Isaiah mean. He, he used that encounter to transform the continent and actually transform all of Christianity through great fathers of the faith, through African men like Augustine and Cyprian and all kinds of people who were raised up by God scattering people, by people proclaiming and speaking the word. You get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. Not only in your giving, but in our sending and equipping and your prayer and you going into neighborhoods. And so I, I want to pray and, and I'm going to close in prayer and then we can have the, the band come up. I, mean, I know we're a little bit over time, but you can come up anyway. And we're going to close in prayer. And just as we do so, pray, Lord, how would you have me participate in this mission? 
God, what are, you, what are you calling me to? How can I come alongside? Because, Lord, I, I know you're calling me to be an active participant. So, God, how would you have me participate in this mission together? So let's, let's do that. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, thank you that you build your church. Thank you, Jesus, that you build your church despite persecution and hardship. You build your church through ordinary people and ordinary means as we proclaim your word. God, would you put it on each and every believer's heart here to to want to be a part of that, to actively participate in the work you're doing, Jesus, to build your church. Jesus, would you inspire people here to serve, to disciple, to pray, to share the good news, to to give towards what you are doing. Lord, would would you put it on our hearts that we might respond and be here, not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing.